Ag State of Mind, Episode 9. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we welcome Kathy Both. Kathy is the editor of OnPasture.com. OnPasture is an online magazine for grazers. They publish articles translating research and experience into practices farmers and ranchers can use right away. It's a very valuable online resource that I myself have picked up many, many things over the past year or so um, Once I, after I discovered it. Um, so it's a very valuable resource. Um, so we talked to Kathy a little bit about her work at On Pasture, how she came to found that, and as well as her own battle with anxiety. And it was a really enjoyable conversation for me as I got to hear some of her own personal battles and how she's uh, kind of learned to cope and learn to live with them. So um, it was a very interesting conversation. So, but before we get started, I would like to encourage everyone. I've had Several people ask me about a Patreon page, and I did not know exactly what that was before. But so I looked into it, and um, I went ahead and I started my own Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash agstateofmind. And what that is, is that's a place where you can support us with donations. I appreciate you listening, but I do know that there are people who have asked me if they could donate and that is the best way to do that is to go to the Patreon page. And what I will do for people who do donate, I will have some bonus content. In fact, at the end of this conversation, after I quit recording for the podcast, we had, Kathy and I had a very interesting conversation about grass-fed versus grain-finished beef and uh, how it applies to an environmental role and how it applies to a profitability role. So it was a very interesting conversation, maybe not completely in in the focus of the typical Ag State of Mind podcast, but uh, nonetheless, a very interesting conversation that we have. So that's something that I will provide to anyone who is a Patreon supporter. And also, you can find updates of what I'm going to be doing in the future, some of the guests I'm going to be having on in coming weeks, and also some of the possible different series that I'm going to do moving forward with the Ag State of Mind podcast. So if you would go check out the Patreon page, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, without any other further direction, here is my conversation with Kathy Voth. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the show today. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to have you on. I'm very excited. I've heard many interviews with you, and I'm I'm really excited to get you in front of uh, maybe some new people and a new audience. And uh, so, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And um, you are the editor at OnPasture.com. So, tell me about yourself, and tell me about how OnPasture came to be. All right. Well, mostly I'll tell you about um, on how OnPasture came to be. 
Back in 2004, I created a method for teaching cows to eat weeds. And you can give some folks some background on that if you like in your in your follow-up to this and share other things if you'd like. But basically, after I learned how to do that, I wanted to share that with a lot of other folks. And so I was attending a lot of um, workshops and ag conferences, speaking at those kinds of things. And what I started to notice was uh, that scientists would stand up in front of audiences and they would provide some really good information, some things that would be really useful to do and would really come at very little cost to the uh, rancher or farmer. And mostly the audience's eyes would just glaze over. And that was probably because the scientist was showing a lot of charts and speaking in a language that it was all science-ease that most of us don't speak and it's hard to understand. And then after that, someone else who wanted to sell the farmers and ranchers something would stand up and be very charismatic. And within no time at all, the farmers would be sitting up and listening and wanting to buy this thing that I knew was going to cost them money and time and probably not do as much for them as probably the scientists' work would have done for them. And that just seemed wrong to me because farmers and ranchers don't have a lot of time or money to spare. So I got to speaking with some of my other, my fellow speakers at a conference that I was at in New York. We'd met at a whole variety of different places, so we kind of knew each other. And I told them that I had this idea that I would like to put together some kind of publication that would take science and translate it into English and also translate experience and all of it into practices that farmers and ranchers could use right away. Things that weren't expensive, things that could make a big difference to them on the ground in how they manage their landscapes and how they put money in the bank, because I think it's important for farmers and ranchers to be profitable. And everybody thought that this was a good idea. And so I started back in uh, March of 2013, At the time, I had a partner, um, Rachel Gilker. She was in New York, and I was in Colorado and then in Tucson, Arizona. And we worked long distance to put together this weekly publication. So we publish seven articles a week. It's all free. We have about 110,000 readers per month right now. And every morning I wake up trying to figure out how to be useful to these people and find and provide them with information that they need. So you talk about the finances, how it can cause stress to people, which I know it can. It's very difficult to get people to understand that, you know, ranching, especially, it's hard to turn a profit. And to do that in a way that is low input is is very difficult, I think. And uh, so can you talk about how that comes into play with what you're trying to do is, is trying to get people to understand that for a farm, for a ranch to be enjoyable, it must be profitable and how your ventures have been involved with that. So farmers and ranchers have to be experts at all kinds of things. And so to meet them where they're working we have different categories in on pasture. So we have grazing management, which talks about planning and moving animals and fencing and water and those kinds of things. We cover pasture health, which is um, soil, forage, weeds. We cover livestock, 
which is pretty obvious what that is. We cover money matters, which is the financial aspect of farming and ranching to include transferring your property when it, you know, it's when one generation is passing it on to the next, um, marketing, you know, basically how do you manage to make money? Uh, and then we have consider this, which is kind of a, a thought, helping people think outside the box. Everybody loves grazing management, pasture health, those kinds of things. The money matters category is the least read of all of them. And I think that's because thinking about money is really stressful. It's the hardest part of the whole process. Raising grass and raising cows and doing good by your soil, all of those parts are easy. But the part where you have to figure out how to sell your product and make money, that's the hardest part. And so... It's it's incredibly difficult because we as ranchers we do get caught up in the lifestyle and you you talked a little bit about those snake oil salesmen trying to trying to make the quickest buck a lot of the times and there's a lot of things with that that are kind of hard to hard to sift through and you know you almost if you don't you feel bad or you feel put under stress if you don't quote unquote buy the right things and uh I think it's important that, you know, we should be trying to manage what we already have rather than try and buy a bunch of inputs. Would you would you agree with that sort of sentiment? Yeah, definitely. And especially for the audience that I'm working for, these are people who really don't have to buy a lot of stuff. And it's one of the reasons we don't have a lot of advertising on our site, because what you need to be good at is figuring out how to set up a fence and how to observe grass growth and animal behavior and those kinds of things. And then the huge part of it is, is figuring out where your market is and how you're going to be selling those animals. And if you haven't figured out that part, all of the other parts, you're going to be successful in them, but you may not be there for long because you can't afford to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I think a lot of times people get caught up in what's the romantic part of of farming and ranching. You know, it's like we get to do it and which, you know, we get to do it, but then we start using the farm, using the ranch to justify buying some toys. You know, we use it to justify buying that big expensive truck or that big expensive tractor or, you know, a number of other cool things. But that stuff can get in the way of the actual really what it's really about is turning grass into dollars. Right. And, you know, I know I do. I know and I am totally guilty of this trying to get all the right stuff and look the part, if you know what I mean. And, you know, that's not that's not what's important. What's important is we're trying to make a lifestyle that makes us happy and we don't need those big shiny things to to make us happy or else we shouldn't and we should just enjoy the ranching lifestyle and and try to make some money doing it yeah and i definitely need for people to make money doing it because it's no fun to have lots and lots of jobs just to support your cattle grazing on on grass so it's i think it's incredibly important to everyone that a farmer make money And one of the reasons it's hard is that the way the sales system is set up for once you have your animal, how you're going to market it. You know, you could market it locally. That's one avenue. But there's difficulties with finding your your customer base. 
you can send it to Feedlot, which a lot of our readers actually do. And that means that the animal has to be raised to certain specifications as well. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to make the premium that you could have made. So there's just so many ins and outs. And it's I'm guilty of this as well. I would love, for example, I went to a uh, conference. I was really interested in raising chickens. And I looked at, you know, I listened to this person talking about all the costs involved. And while he was talking, I laid out, you know, basically in my little workbook, this is how much it would cost to raise one chicken. This is how much I would have to sell it for. And then this is how many chickens I'd have to sell in order to make a living. And suddenly I realized it just wasn't possible. What did I do? I raised chickens anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And I ate great eggs and I ate, you know, I ate really good chicken. But at, um, you know, 30 bucks per chicken, that's some really expensive meat. And selling that to somebody is not going to be, it's going to be hard. So those are the kinds of things that we have to think about. I think it's important to note that even though you didn't make money selling chickens or, you know, you found out it was going to be hard, you did it anyway, correct? Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. And it was just because, well, my husband was working and making a good salary and uh, I was, you know, doing the, the cows eat weeds project. So I had time and opportunity to do this. We had the property to do it. But the reality is that it was really expensive for us to do mm-hmm. that. And those are the kinds of things that we all have to think about as we go in. And if we don't think about them, there are some pretty depressing consequences from time to time. Yeah, I agree with that because, you know, I know I'm not, I'm not very old. I'm 35 years old. But even in my short time on this earth and even shorter time uh, running my own cow-calf operation, I've made some decisions that I thought were going to be turn out for the best. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I was going to, I thought I was going to start to raise, I was going to start my own herd of registered blonde Aquitaine cattle. Are you familiar with those cattle? No, huh? They're actually, they're, they're an impressive breed. They are a, um, they're actually the third largest breed in France after Charlet and Limousine. So they have a lot of the same features. They're a light skinned, a red skinned cow, actually a blonde, a yellow skin. So they're blonde, you know, so they're known for their lean meat. They're, uh, also known for being very tall, framey cattle. And, um, you know, I thought I was going to, to raise that. I was going to start my own herd. I was going to start my own little seed stock operation until I realized how difficult it would be to just keep those animals separate from my other cow-calf herd and realized it was going to be really expensive because I was going to have to set aside a certain amount of grass, a certain amount of pasture. And uh, even though I thought that was going to make me happy, it turned out that it wasn't what was best for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we make a lot of those decisions along the way. And, you know, I think it's similar to your chicken experience. You know, I still may do that someday, but I have to, you know, we have to find out ways that, you know, are both cost effective and they bring us joy. And that's that's very difficult in the ranching farming enterprise because, you know, th- everything is so cost intensive and everything is so 
you know, if you, if you don't do it right, margins are slim or, or non-existent. And, uh, you know, to, to be sustainable, you have to enjoy it and it has to make money. And, uh, you well, know, and an, another thing that I've found is just because you read something about, for example, management intensive grazing, oh, with these animals, you know, with this process, you can double your stocking rate and things like that. You really have to think and read a little deeper than that because I've just encountered someone who read a little bit, knew enough to be dangerous, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, had like 20 acres with 15 cattle and he couldn't figure out why they couldn't gain weight. And all he did was lose money. And his conclusion was this management intensive grazing stuff is just ridiculous. It doesn't work. Well, no, it doesn't work the way you, no. it, it's not magic. None of it is. Magic. No. So no. anyway, I don't, I don't know if this is what you really, if I'm covering what you want me to cover. No, but, it's okay. No, no. it's okay. okay. This is good. This is good All stuff. Right. No, I really appreciate it. But I do want to, I do want to talk about something. I read an article, I think you wrote just recently on, on pasture. And you were talking about kind of the new age of activism with regards to anti-agriculture. Um, you know, that that's really a hot topic in the news with the kind of coming to the forefront of the more plant-based proteins and uh, maybe even further with cell-based agriculture, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, for me, this is the first time I've really dealt with it, you know, in such a such an intense manner. But I read somewhere where you were talking about there was a big wave of activism in the early 90s. I want to hear about what that involved and how how you saw that um, affect the industry and how we were able to kind of maybe overcome that. Oh, sure. Um, let's see. Back in the 90s, this was the era of uh, no more moo in 92 and cattle free by 93. And people were addressing livestock on public lands. And their feeling was that, well, twofold. First, ranchers weren't paying enough for the privilege of grazing on public lands. And second, that any of the grazing they were doing was damaging to the environment. And so they, you know, cattle in general should be removed. And one thing that happened about then was we got a new administration. I was working for the Bureau of Land Management at the time, which is a federal agency that is primarily in the West and manages about uh, 19 million acres that belongs to belongs to all of us as American citizens. And the new administration had a secretary of the interior. His name was Bruce Babbitt. And he decided that he was going to take some of this head on. He was going to raise the grazing fee. And as part of that, he put on a whole series of grazing hearings all throughout the Western United States. And farmers and ranchers would be able to come to these hearings and express their opinions and provide information and facts as would anyone who wanted to do that. And so his primary location, the one he chose to attend was in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is where I was working as a public information officer. And so I coordinated with him and his staff on all of the setup. And then I coordinated real heavily with our ranching community because what I realized is that they didn't understand how this system was going to work. And how to actually present themselves well and to work through this process. So 
when the hearings arrived, I basically helped them understand how it was going to work and how to present themselves, not as their sometimes grumpy, pissed off selves that think everyone's out to get them, but as the really hardworking, sincere, honest people that they are who are actually providing us a service by being on the public lands and grazing in ways that actually help wildlife and provide water to wildlife and improve recreation opportunities for everyone. So we had a, a number of hearings with the Secretary of Interior then, and as part of it, a group of, it was some people out of the Crested Butte area, Gunnison area, ranchers and environmentalists who had joined together, realizing that they had mutual interests and that they were, the work that ranchers did was beneficial to what the environmentalists were interested in. And they came and presented this information to Secretary Babbitt. And the result was that people actually sat down together and worked through things and figured out how these kinds of things could work. And we didn't end up raising the grazing fees in part because, well, Secretary Babbitt put all of that on hold. and basically tried to set up instead what he called resource advisory councils in all across the West, where people would get together and actually meet with each other and talk through problems and understand that in the end, we're kind of on the same side. So that's what we tried. Some places were successful, some weren't, but I really felt like it was a good example of how rather than feeling attacked if we bring people in and show them what we do and, you know, demonstrate how we're providing, we're actually providing what they want and also acknowledge that there are some things that we do need to change and that maybe we did do wrong and how we're trying to be better or how we could be better. Those are the ways that I think that we really can be successful. Yeah, it's interesting that you, uh, thank you for sharing that because I think it's important to note that the current form of activism and anti-agriculture folks, this is nothing new. These are things that have happened in the past. And, you know, people are reasonably curious, I think, about how we raise animals, how it can benefit the environment. And I, I, I think it's a good opportunity for us as livestock producers to realize that, hey, you know, the consumer is what drives demand. And, you know, maybe we should take a look at, instead of getting offended at everything, we should take, a, maybe just, you know, use it as an opportunity to take a look at ourselves and what we're doing to make sure we're doing what's best. And you said something one time, I don't remember, I, I don't know if I read what you said or I heard what you said on a different podcast, but you said, um, we don't come together from the edges, we come together from the middle. And uh, yeah, that's that's really a powerful way to think about conflict resolution in that, you know, we all, I think we all have our own fringe ideas. We all are somewhere out on the edge on a few factors. But the important thing is to, instead of focusing on how different we are, we need to find common ground. And, uh, yeah. you know, in the current state of America now in the polarized political environment, you know, no matter what side you're on, it's, it seems like, you know, you, the, the other side is, 
is your, you know, you look at them as your enemy. And, you know, and I think that that transfers over into the, you know, ag producers and anti-ag activists. And, you know, I think we need to be able to sit down and see where we can come together. And, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to bring both sides together. But it's something that it's like you said, we need to be able to come together from our similarities and work on those because focusing on our differences is very unproductive. Well, and it's really stressful and it's really depressing. It's depressing to feel like when you walk out in the world, there are people there who don't like you, who are going to attack you. And one thing that I've watched and it's happening I've I've got some personal examples right now from my Facebook page, uh, my On Pasture Facebook page, where people can't seem to, their first instinct is to say that something's bad or that they don't like it or to be confrontational rather than approaching it constructively, maybe asking a question, maybe thinking, maybe I'm assuming something that's not correct. And, you know, when we can do that kind of thing, we make progress. But if we're constantly being bombarded with these negative ideas or it has to be like this, I think those are the times that we need to look at what our source of information is, whether it's Facebook or whatever news programs we watch, and maybe step back and say, geez, I remember a time when it wasn't like this and we could talk to each other. And let's focus on that. Um, Personally, It can be so destructive for me to see these kinds of things coming out on the On Pasture Facebook page that, you know, I take a dive into my own personal depression. And then, you know, and I say, please don't behave this way. And the people are tell me I'm behaving like I'm a victim. No, I was just asking you to be nice. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I. it's so crazy to me that people... Like you said, you know, they they accuse you of being a victim or portraying one when in fact you're just, you just want everybody, we want everybody, we all want the same thing. Yeah. You know, we all want every, you know, we want, as far as in your on pasture group, you know, we all want the same things. We all want, you know, be able to raise animals in a healthy and sustainable way and take care of our families, you know? And so yeah. I mean, what what could we possibly have to argue about that makes us so, I don't even know the right word to say, so, um, oh, just so at odds with one another. Confrontational, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. And you said something about, you know, looking at our sources. And I made a blog post about this a few weeks ago where I was talking about that we have, we've lost the ability to go to primary sources for our information. Um, We've lost the ability to actually read an article or actually read a book or actually talk to somebody. Instead, we rely on people to tell us um, we rely on celebrities to tell us. We rely on Facebook yeah. posts. We rely on bloggers to tell us. Instead of yeah. going to the primary source, we're getting a lot of secondary, secondhand, thirdhand information. And, uh, you know, that's very dangerous. 
Well, and, you know, I before I did this, I worked for about six years as a public information officer, and I spent a lot of time working with the local media, and I began to understand what their motivations were when they put out headlines and things like that. And a lesson that I learned there that I carry forward in all of my work is if you read something and it makes you say, oh my gosh, those people are horrible, or that's the most awful thing I've ever heard, Take a breath and think about what it is those people are trying to do with their headline. Because in many instances, they're trying to affect you emotionally so that you will either go and look at their article and read it so that they get more advertisers because they have more readers, or they're trying to convince you of something so you'll be on their side. And so anytime I have that just gut reaction of, oh, no, I can't believe that. Well, I probably shouldn't believe that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been trying to tell people. And it's also something that I've been trying to do with On Pasture, which is really de-traumatize things and not I, – I work hard not to make – it's really tempting to make those clickbait headlines to get people to come over. But I work really hard not to do that because I want us to be a drama-free place where people can come to get reasonable information, where their emotions aren't being triggered, where they can find things that benefit them overall. Yeah. And, and you I know, that's... Because I do this as a person who who has really felt the impacts of, of these kinds of things and who has lived with depression for a long time. And so I've had to figure these things out. So I'd like to I'd like to talk about that a little bit, about if you don't mind, about about dealing with depression and being able to talk about it. I understand if you don't want to go into personal details, but how important it is to be able to talk to that about some uh, about that to someone. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it's important because on the surface, you know, no one would think that this is something that I've carried with me for 30, let's see, 40 years now. <laughs> the first thing is to understand that um, depression isn't just feeling blue or sad about something. It's actually a condition where your body is, where your mind, something within you is off. You have a chemical imbalance that um, basically keeps you from experiencing more of the highs and you get more of the lows. And I don't feel bad about it because I have no control over it. It's like people who are allergic to something have no control over what they're allergic to. They just are. And so the next thing you have to do is figure out how to deal with that. And it can be a long, it can be a long process because like when you're allergic to something, first you have to figure out what you're allergic to. Well, when you have depression, you have to figure out what your cues are. What are things that trigger it? Um, what are the things that you can do to improve so that you're not experiencing that on an ongoing basis? So, for example, for me, it means that I know I need to be outdoors a lot. I need to be in the sunshine. I need to take my medications. And if my medication isn't working, I need to go and talk to someone about that. It also means that I need to find people who have skills to help 
folks like me, that I can go and talk to them about some of the things I think. And, you know, we, we often just want to go and vent to our friends or talk to our spouse about it. But I've found that it's really important to step outside that little that little realm of yours and go to people who have the skills. And I know that's hard. I, and people think, well, you know, people are going to think there's something wrong with you. Well, I have friends who have allergies and I don't think any worse of them. And I make sure I cook good food for them when they come over or, you know, make sure that the cat's outside so that they don't have to experience that or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think that we, if we all do that for each other, I think it's, it's much more, geez, we'll have so many more happy people and productive people as well. Yeah, it's it, interesting to me because we don't look at it as an actual medical condition. You know, we, we, it looks like it's made up to us or to a lot of people, I should say. And, mm-hmm. you know, because and I, I say this a lot is, you know, there's no... I always use the example of heart disease. You know, there are things that you can measure for heart disease to tell you that they're real. Your blood pressure, your, you know, you can have a cardiac cath to understand how your heart's working and how how your if there's any kind of blockage in the heart, that sort of thing. But there's really nothing like that for depression or anxiety. And that is hard for medical and non-medical people alike to really grasp. I know for me, I'll tell you this, when I was in college, that was, it was, we always kind of said that mental health was more of an art than a science, you know? And, um, but that's, that's really not true because, um, just because there are things that are happening, actual scientific hard things that are happening mm-hmm. in your body as far as what hormones are functioning, what neurotransmitters are functioning, but we just, there's just not a test for it. And, you know, for, for people to have, not have that, you know, in their hands to say, you know, oh, X is positive, so you have depression. It's a totally subjective matter. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody can look at you and tell you, you, you can't diagnose depression on an unconscious person, you know, where you could most any other uh, medical condition. And, uh, you know, that's really difficult for people to to really step back and look at. Right, right. So what I tell people is if you, you know, there are, you, you can just go online as your first step. If you've been feeling low for a really long time, all the things that you normally love about life are just, ah, who cares about them? Um, if you're thinking about harming yourself in any way, the very first thing you can do is secretly go on the internet and you can look up, there's little, you know, there's questions. They'll ask you questions and you can, you can look at these questions and it will give you an idea whether or not maybe it's time to go seek some help. You can go to your general practitioner. A lot of those folks have gotten really good at asking the right questions. And in many rural communities in particular, those are people know you well and they know when they can help you. If they offer you medication, take it. We all have this kind of idea that, oh, I shouldn't take medicine. It's some kind of weakness. When I first was put on antidepressants, took me a few weeks and one morning I woke up and for the first time in I don't know how long I had thought, I I didn't think, oh, I wish I was dead. I woke up and I just felt good. 
I just felt good. And I thought, oh, is this how other people feel when they wake up? This is incredible. I really liked it. Yeah. Well, that one didn't last long. I became allergic to it. And then we tried another one and that one wasn't as successful. And then we tried another one. And the, the thing is that we're all individuals. Our bodies react to medications and inputs in different ways, just like some people can eat asparagus and other people can't. You'll, you'll just find that you have to find what's right for you. And then you need to know what your triggers are. If suddenly, well, here's mine. If I wake up in the morning and I think, the first thing I think is, boy, I wish I was dead. What I know is I need to check. Am I taking my meds appropriately? Um, have I spent enough time outside? Have I been eating correctly? You know, all these kinds of things, these self-care things that we sometimes forget about when we get really busy. Or have I been reading too many Facebook posts on Yeah, that's pasture? a big one for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there are some really simple mental health things that we can all do. And some of these things are things we should just do because they're the right thing. You know, just like we're helping people figure out how to graze better. These are all little things that you can do along the way. There's just so much to do all the time that I know it can seem overwhelming. But if you take care of yourself, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, I uh, I, I had a thought about that. And it's it's a it's an example that's used a lot, and um, it talks about. I hear I've heard several people use this example, and they say whenever you're on an airplane and they are giving you the instructions on how to use the, if the cabin pressure drops and the masks drop, what do they always tell you? They say, put your own mask on first yes. before you help any, even if it's your child, even if it's an elderly person sitting next to you, put your own mask on first and then help others because you cannot, you know, and, and uns unselfishness is a very, valuable character trait. It's a very valuable virtue, but it is meaningless unless you take care of yourself first. Yeah. And that that's that's I think that's a big issue with a lot of folks in that they take this pride and wear this badge of honor that they're unselfish and they are forsaking and foregoing their own health to take care of others' health. And you know, that's not, you know, we talk about we we talk a lot about sustainability and that's not sustainable. Yeah. You, know, you have to, you have to take care of yourself first. Exactly. Exactly. So. I am interested. I want to know how long did it take for you? You say you wake up in the morning and if you feel a certain way, you start asking yourself these, these questions. How long did it take for you to get to that point where you were self-aware enough to, to know to ask yourselves those certain questions? Um. You know, I was in my, I, I first probably um, expressed symptoms of depression in my early 20s, then right around my 30s, my, you know, as I was turning 30, I had a serious incident. And then towards um, the end of my 30s, I had another incident. And it was when they finally gave me that medication that let me feel perfect. And I realized that normal people didn't have those thoughts probably every morning mm -hmm. that that's when it, it suddenly I, I had that breakthrough and 
it sounds like a long time, but being self-aware can take a really long time, I think. We so. all are. I'm, I'm still working on it myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's a difficult thing to really face yourself and, you know, because it's scary, yeah. you know, to, because you don't know, nobody else, nobody else knows you, you know, like you know you. You know, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to go through that and and to really, you know, do that kind of self-searching. You know, it's it's really hard, you know, yeah. because yeah. some really scary things can come up. And it's not fun and there's other better things to do. But, uh, well, you think there's other better things to do, but I feel so much better. And I feel like I've been able to be so much more productive and help so many other people, which is Basically, I have this attitude of a life of service, and that's why I do on pasture, and that's why I'm willing to talk about this part of my life, because if it can help someone else, then good. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm going at with this podcast as well, is I'm trying to get people... You know, you do you do such great things with On Pasture. That's such a valuable resource. And you know, anybody in the in the livestock sector of of agriculture should take a take a look at On Pasture because it's just there's so much valuable information. And Thanks. you know, even if you pick pick up one thing a week, you know, just one small thing that you can change, you know, it's so valuable. You know, and even if it's even if you're not changing what you're doing, if you if it makes you change the way you look at things, it's so valuable. But to realize that you yourself, that brings people so much valuable information to see that you struggle as well is is really powerful. And I talked to another gentleman just a couple weeks ago um, who is a, is a pretty accomplished dairy farmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's had these same sort of issues in that, you know, a lot of self-doubt and a lot of he's had a lot of trials in his life personally where, you know, it's... Um, it, pretty pretty hard times, and to hear you know someone in his capacity still suffers through that stuff. Can it be powerful to quote unquote normal people, yeah. you know, or or average, you know, people we see as average or or whatnot? Yeah. So when you look out at somebody, you don't know the battles that they are fighting or that they have fought to get where they are, and you don't know exactly how they're feeling today because we all try and present a good face to each other. So. I guess one of the other things I would uh, encourage people to think about is don't judge your insides based on other people's outsides because they could be having huge struggles and you might be thinking they're more perfect than they are. So, and if, if they are perfect, well, good, reach out to them and they can help you because <laughs> that's where we yeah. should be here to help each other. Yeah, that's the, you know, I think, you know, maybe there's a few people that are not this way, but I think the overwhelming majority of people themselves want to live a good life and want other people to live a good life. If if we get down to the to the core of of human existence, mm-hmm. you know. You know, and There's the old quote, I think it's by Theodore Roosevelt that says, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And we don't know, like you said, we don't know the struggles other people are going through. We only know our, we only know our own struggles and how they affect us. And we cannot compare ourselves to other folks. I, I've talked about this before too, is a lot of, a lot of farming and ranching is there's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses that happens. And, uh, 
that's so unproductive to what our what our real goal is is to you know uh-huh. is to have a healthy and happy lifestyle you know those those people those joneses as we say they aren't living our life we're the only ones living our life right. and uh you know that's all we should focus on right so yeah i guess farming is a stressful occupation because you are your own boss and you have to know everything from how grass grows to how to predict the weather to how to change your management when the weather changes to all the market stuff. There's just so much to know. And if you're feeling stressed over that, you probably have good reason. If there are just things that you don't feel you can manage anymore, stop, try something different or find someone to talk to. There's lots of different people out there for no matter what kind of issue you have, whether it's financial or livestock or grazing or mental health, just there's lots of us out there and find the help you need. Yeah, no, it's there. like you said, there's so many people willing to help, but the people who are struggling have to reach out. They have to feel like it's okay to reach out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people don't realize is, you know, we can say, we can be here and say, oh, I want to help, I want to help. But we can't force anybody to succumb to to our help. You know, if um, you know, they have to be willing. They have to be the ones who initiate that. And that's you know, that's hard. That's really hard because especially with farmers and ranchers, and because they have such an independent mindset. All right. And you know, it's it's it's, it's incredibly difficult. And I I think we have to start changing the conversation and you know making people realize that it's okay to reach out. Well, the biggest reason for me to want farmers and ranchers to be successful is I like to eat (laughs) and (laughs) most people do. So it behooves us all to help our farmers and ranchers be as successful as they can possibly be. Well, there's a, I can't quote it verbatim, but there's a, there's a quote that from Alan Savory that says there would be no banks, there would be no military, there would be no government if if there was no food. Exactly. Agriculture is the basis of of all of our civilization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's ever changing. You know, the people who are doing it are, you know, you're gonna have to evolve. But a base foundation of all of our civilization is food because without food, that's the one thing that is essential for human survival is food. Right. And uh we need to stop making it such a contention point. It needs to be something that we come together over and uh, try to understand and quit making it such a such a point of conflict. Yeah. And the good news is that there are people out there that are advocating. Something came across my desk just yesterday about people who are advocating for farmers and ranchers and helping people understand the work they're doing and that kind of thing. So there's lots of support. So if you're feeling stressed because you think that nobody cares or nobody's understanding there are lots of people that are actually working on this on your behalf. And at On Pasture, we'll be sharing a bunch of that in the, in the future. Um, probably in the next couple of months, we'll be getting some new information out there. There's an organization called the Western Landowners Alliance that is all about um, helping people in the West work on policies that help them do their jobs well and be successful. So there's there's a whole variety of things. Those are just a couple of things that I can name. So if that's helpful to know that there are people out there on your side, I hope it relaxes folks a bit. 
Yeah, we'll we'll make a we'll make a link. We'll I'll find a link and and link the Western Landowners Alliance in the show notes when uh, when this comes available because you know it's important to know that there are people working and um, it's com- like you said it's comforting to know that. Yeah, um, Kathy, we're running just a bit short on time, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to a speak about anything you wanted to speak about that I've. Didn't didn't ask you and B to find where people can find you. You've talked about on pasture, but if there are other ways t- for people to reach out to you, um, well, you can go to really the best way is to just go to onpasture.com. You can also email me at Kathy K A T H Y at onpasture.com. Um, those are the best ways to reach me. Best ways to find out what I'm up to and what kind of information. I, I can provide. And what I always tell people is I think of On Pasture as a community of people who are learning to, and growing together. So if you have suggestions about topics you would like to read about or things you'd like me to add to the website or things I can do better, please let me know because I rely on everybody out there to help me make sure I'm doing the best that I can for you all. Well, I can I can attest myself in saying you're doing an excellent job, and um, I know I along and I speak for a lot of readers on of on pasture, and that we really appreciate the resource for uh, you know helping make our make our, our business, our farm and ranching business more profitable and more enjoyable. So uh, I, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. And I'm really thankful for the time you took to get today to uh, to talk to me about all the things we've talked about and for you being open about your own struggles with mental health. Um, you know, I think it's, like I said, to know someone like yourself who struggles with that is, is very powerful and, uh, inspiring and, and glad, I'm glad to know that, that you were willing to speak about that. It makes, it makes me for one feel very comforted. Well, thanks. And thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking with you. And again, if I can do anything to help folks, you just let me know and I'll do my best. All right. Great. Well, today that's Kathy Voth. She's the editor and founder at onpasture.com and we'll link to where you can find her in the show notes. And uh, we're very grateful for her to have her on today. And uh, I look forward to uh, more from On Pasture and I am um, look forward for to hear any feedback on this episode. So if you would, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. We would love a five-star review, but whatever review you can leave us would be great. And uh, please remember to subscribe to the show. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and thanks again for listening today. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.